Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We're on the frequencies 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kHz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories, an Africa rise and shine at the Sawa. Amnesty International condemns deadly crackdown on protesters in Sudan. New report shows that human trafficking is on the rise. And South Africa's ruling African National Congress celebrates its 107th birthday. In economics news, World Bank President Jim Yong Kim steps down. And in sports news, CAF to announce the 2019 Africa Cup of Nations host. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Madagascar is set to confirm the result of its presidential election after Andre Rogelina was declared the victor in the vote count. In the runoff vote on the 19th of December, Rogelina scored 55% of the ballot and Marco Valamanana won 44% according to the final results. Rovalamanana lodged complaints over alleged irregularities with the Constitutional Court, which will announce the official winner. Last week, riot police in the Indian Ocean Island used tear gas to break up one of several protests by thousands of Rovalamanana supporters in the capital, Antananarivo. Two soldiers who took part in Monday's attempted coup in Gabon have been killed. They were shot dead after security officers stormed the National Radio Building in which they had taken over. Eight suspects have also been arrested. The main opposition group, the Coalition for the New Republic, has denied any link with the rebel soldiers. Political analyst Romeo Nkwalu Ela says the incident is just a tip of the iceberg regarding the succession of President Ali Bongo. His comments come after authorities arrested five Republican Guard Army officers in connection with the failed coup. The Republican Guard is currently led by President Bongo's brother, Frederick Bongo, who is acting as president in the absence of his ailing brother. Nkwalu Ela explains. Uh, first you have your regular army, then you have the stronger a military which is the Republican Guards. This is where the mutineers claim to have come from. Now that group is under the control of President Ali Bongo's brother, Frederick Bongo. What is happening here is a symptomatic of the uncertainty that prevails in terms of who runs the country in the absence of the president. But I wouldn't be surprised to see further crises arising in the near future. South Africa's ruling ANC National Congress will celebrate its 107th anniversary with President Cyril Ramaphosa. 
leading a wreath-laying ceremony at the grave of the party's founding president, John Langa Libalele Dube, at Uhlanje Institute in Inanda outside Durban later this morning. This is part of a build-up to the main celebration scheduled for Saturday at the Moses Mabida Stadium. The ANC will also use the event to launch its 2019 election manifesto. Ntebo Mukobo reports. For the past few days, the ANC top six officials have been in KwaZulu-Natal to mobilize communities for the party's birthday celebrations and its 2019 election manifesto launch. Today, President Cyril Ramaphosa will kick off his day with a walkabout at the Pine Town taxi rank, where he is expected to interact with commuters and drivers. This will be followed by an early morning service at the Central Methodist Church in the Deben CBD, with a mini rally at the birthplace of the party's founding president, Langalebalele Dube, in the afternoon. Other top six officials are also being deployed in the province to mobilize communities for the main celebrations on Saturday. Mozambique says it's working with U.S. and South African authorities after its former finance minister was arrested in Johannesburg. The arrest of 63-year-old Manuel Chang relates to $2 billion in alleged secret loans to Mozambican state companies. Chang was arrested on the 29th of December. He's expected to appear in court in Johannesburg later in the day for an extradition hearing. This after U.S. authorities in New York said Chang was accused of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, securities fraud and money laundering. And finally, an 18-year-old Saudi woman seeking asylum has left the hotel at the Bangkok airport in Thailand where she took refuge after being given a temporary entry permit. Rahaf Mohammed Al-Kanan flew to Thailand from Kuwait on Saturday, saying she would be killed if she returned to her family. Kanan says her family had subjected her to physical and psychological abuse. The BBC's Jonathan Head reports. As the day has gone on, we've heard different signals from the Thai authorities acknowledging that perhaps her fears are real. And later on, we saw the United Nations Refugee Agency brought in for the first time. This is very unusual in Thailand, but they brought in senior UN officials who were allowed to go in and spend time with her, talking to her about her concerns, about her fears for her safety. At the end of that, the immigration police chief here assured us and everyone else that she would not be sent back. And that's the news airlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne, and you're listening to Africa Buzz and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. London-based human rights organization Amnesty International says more than 40 people have been killed over the past three weeks in Sudan, where prominent activists and opposition leaders supported by ordinary citizens are holding demonstrations calling on President Omar al-Bashir to step down. Channel Africa's James Shimanyula has more. The authorities in Sudan have arrested more than 100 prominent activists and opposition politicians that have been holding massive demonstrations calling on President Omar Hassan Ahmed el-Bashir to relinquish power after ruling the country for more than 29 years. Opposition leaders arrested include Secretary General of Sudanese Congress Party, his deputy Nur al-Din Salah al-Din, and the Democratic Unionist Party leader, 
Salah Abdullah. The crackdown on activists and opposition leaders calling on El Bashir to step down continues as the situation in the capital Khartoum remains tense and unpredictable. According to the London-based human rights organization Amnesty International, more than 40 people have so far been killed after heavily armed security personnel opened fire on them. But the Sudanese government says only 19 people lost their lives during the demonstrations. The demonstrations have forced the government to declare a state of emergency. Citizens of the country are complaining about skyrocketing food prices as inflation reaches 60%. Addressing the people of Sudan on state-run radio and television, President El-Bashir defended his 29-year rule and said he is not responsible for the current economic crisis facing the country. That was Sudan President El-Bashir. Already Sudan's Minister for Media, Bashar Jamal, has admitted that the Khartoum government lacks a strong security team to stop the massive demonstrations which have just entered the third week. When there is no strong central power or government in the center that is providing security and protecting the citizen, I'm quite sure there will be an anarchy and crisis in the country. So I'm now cautioning and backing our Sudanese brother, whether in oppositions and government, to sit down and to solve their problem in a peaceful manner. That will not let the country to lose its control. So far, Four citizens of neighboring South Sudan have been killed in the demonstrations, as the country's ambassador to Sudan, Mayeni Dutwal, explains. Very unfortunate we have lost four people in this demonstration. We saw Sudanese, two female and two male. They were not participating, but due to this, sometimes the bullet can just cross and then go and hit him somewhere. So this is what we have now in this crisis that has taken place in Sudan. Mayen Dutwal says South Sudan's embassy in Khartoum has formed a special committee to visit camps accommodating South Sudan refugees to ascertain whether or not more deaths have been reported. This committee is to move to see where our people are. Because here, particularly in Khartoum state, we have about 30 uh, camps where our people are living. So this committee, they are responsible to make coordinations with the leaderships of these camps so that to give them the full report, what is, what is the situation in all this. That was Mayen Dutwal, South Sudan's ambassador to Sudan. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. The Mo Ibrahim Foundation has condemned what it describes as the censorship of news about the ongoing anti-government protests in Sudan and restriction of access to the Internet. Widespread discontent with Sudan's soaring cost of living has fueled a wave of protest that has posed one of the greatest challenges to President Omar al-Bashir since he came to power in 1989. Riot police fired tear gas on Sunday at protests in the capital Khartoum planning to march on the presidential palace as backers of al-Bashir announced their only rally for this week. The foundation has urged the government to uphold the right of the Sudanese citizens to peacefully protest and express their legitimate grievances. Spumela Lezondi spoke to founder and chair of the foundation Dr. Mo Ibrahim. The foundation is not happy with the way the Sudanese government is dealing with these protests. Which aspects are you not happy about? 
Well, uh, it's not only the foundation. I think the whole world is not happy with uh, what's going on in Sudan. Well, after 30 years of rule, you know, you remember uh, Bashir came to power in uh, 1988 by 1989, 30 years exactly ago by military coup. And uh, over the 30 years, there have been severe uh, restriction on civil rights of the citizens and uh, restriction of political parties, restriction movement of people. And what is also vast uh, network of corruption, uh, lack of transparency, uh, 70% of the budget, uh, nobody knows where it goes. It, uh, it goes to the military, the militias, and the presidential allocation, and 30% of the budget only spent on education and health uh, development, etc. No wonder that the economy has been going downhill all these years. And... Uh, just people cannot live, people cannot buy bread now, and that's a serious problem. And uh, the rights of people to demonstrate peacefully is secured by the Constitution, the constitutional right to, to express their dissatisfaction. And those people just wanted to hand the request to the president just to peacefully step away of power. Mm. What's wrong with that? Why they why they why they shoot at people? Why they prevent them from doing that? Uh, nobody's carrying guns. Nobody's uh, using violence. It is all peaceful, and people should have the right to 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 protest uh, peacefully. And uh, we, we we stand by the Sudanese people for for the right to express their views freely. Yeah, and it's human right. Yeah, Dr. Ibrahim, from your knowledge, does the Sudanese government and authorities, um, do they allow peaceful protest, especially if it's directed at government? They should, but they don't. Uh, they don't. It is a government which has a steep history in repression. 30 demonstrators have been killed so far, and that's just not acceptable. And then there's also the arrest of some of those protesters as well. I mean, that's always, I mean, political prisoners in Sudan, I mean, that's, uh, what's concerning also is abuse, the beating up of people in detention, and uh, even the university professors and uh, teachers, yesterday they had uh, a very peaceful uh, gathering, uh, they just stood up in their own universities, you know, uh, it's a bit of abuse, they're all arrested, and uh, some of them were beaten, and uh, they were released the next day, but... Uh, why Why beat up people who mm. just saying, you know, what, what, what they want to say? They have not thrown a stone at anybody or, or, or these are peaceful people. And saying we don't like what's going on. Well, I think it's, it's, it's really time for Bashir to go. That's enough. How are solutions then found if um, a discourse is not allowed, if people can't engage um, on conversations that might be critical of the government in order for the state to move forward, in order for citizens to move forward? Can solutions be found in that, in that environment? I'm afraid that's the problem because if you... Uh, this, this protest will, will not go away because when people are unable to find food when, and, and they see the scale of corruption in the country, they will not just sit back. And uh, people hope for a peaceful transfer, of, you know, that Bashir should go in peace. But the problem, of course, is is power is seductive, is addictive, it's, uh, people don't want to leave power, it is a means to get rich, it is a means to 
exercise his sadistic uh, his instincts, and uh, that is a problem. And if that situation continues, uh, this will turn into uh, a more bloody situation, which nobody wants uh. it to happen. As the foundation, you have an African Leadership Prize. Do you think that African governments in general um, keep each other in check, for example, like um, other leaders um, in the case of Sudan? Do you think they can be able to keep President Omar al-Bashir in check? Do you think the African Union can do that? Unfortunately, the African Union, uh, yes, it is our beloved institution. We hope one day to, to, to see United States of Africa if we can. But the uh, legal status of the uh, of of the African Union doesn't allow it to do anything more than expressing uh, sympathy or uh, dissatisfaction, uh, because no African country has ceded any sovereignty to the African Union. Unlike, for example, the, the European Union, mm. the European Union uh, has has powers because countries agreed to cede certain uh, elements of their sovereignty to the European Union. So they cannot pass a budget without approval of the European Union, the, mm-hmm. the legal system, judiciary, etc. You know, a lot of things has to comply with the requirement of the EU. African Union hasn't got any of these powers. Um, so in that sense, it has, it has no teeth. And in the end, then, the solution for Sudan at the moment as they're going through these protests, uh, you have mentioned a couple of times during this conversation that uh, President al-Bashir should just resign. Is that your solution? I think it's not just Bashir. I think we really need a new beginning for Sudan. Sudan has been one of the most promising countries in Africa 50 years ago or 40 years ago. And unfortunately, it ended up in the hand of those people who came in the name of Islam and uh, they dabbled a while with Osama bin Laden and Carlos and various, became a base of Islamic terrorists for, for a while. Then they moved a little bit from that, and but continuously it was robbing the country. It is it's a clique, my friend, a clique of people who are sucking the blood out of the country and he needs to go. We need to have a fresh beginning, we need to have a global dialogue between the vectors, the various sectors of society, the, 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 the professional organizations, the trade unions, the, uh, you know, students, etc. And we need to find a path forward towards a really uh, democratic, we need that dialogue, a peaceful dialogue to move forward. And uh, maybe government of national unity, transition government, need to move forward. Otherwise, what will end up is another soldier jumping in and uh, uh, taking control. or uh, And the problem with Bashir also, of course, he's afraid of leaving power because, as you know, he's wanted by the International Criminal Court yes. for the crimes committed in Darfur. So as long as a president, he, he, he has uh, immunity or, you know, uh, uh, unable to escape the ICC, once he leaves power, he becomes vulnerable. Right. And we, so what, just let him go in peace, you know, we will be very happy if, uh, uh, of course, we don't like impunity, but if that's the price to have peace and to save lives, I just should go in peace. As Dr. Mo Ibrahim, the founder and chair of the Mo Ibrahim Foundation, speaking to Spumene Lezondi.
Channel Africa. Africa, rise and shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean-Noël Bamwese, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundé. Informing the world about Africa. Ngatani in Mohalizuk, Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. The top six leaders of South Africa's ruling African National Congress have crisscrossed the Guazul Natal province, mobilizing communities ahead of the party's anniversary celebration on Tuesday, which is today, and election manifesto launch on Saturday. President Sul Ramaphosa, accompanied by party provincial chairperson Sisle Zigalala, has engaged with communities in Port Shepston on the Guazul Natal south coast. The ANC's deputy president, David Mabuza, was in Newcastle, where he also encouraged people to take part in the ANC's activities during the week. Vusi Makosini reports. A hot and busy day for the ANC's top six leaders as they brave the scorching sun, rubbing shoulders with ordinary committee members. They listen to their concerns, ranging from backlogs in housing development to a lack of job opportunities. Their message was not only about the planned series of ANC events, but also to register for the elections. Ramaphosa started his day by visiting the Masinenge informal settlement outside Pochapstein, where he witnessed the appalling living conditions. He also visited a housing development adjacent to the informal settlement. There were mixed reactions from communities about service delivery in the area. But we are saying as colored people that consider us in things, consider us in parliaments, consider us in government jobs, consider us in, in land appropriation, you know, yeah. giving back, give back to the colored people. We also suffered. What are our children going to have? We get considered as, oh, we're gangsters or we this or we that, you know. So it's very uplifting as, as a community that the president came to us. But we also say that hear us and consider us. Deliver. Deliver, yes, exactly. And as, at the moment on the top, if you can, I can go with you there. There's, there's a lot of elderly people, 90% is elderly people. Wheelchair bound or sickly or sickly. No events, the houses are not properly built. How did the ANC municipality inspectors pass those houses? But now it's time to vote. We're getting nice visits. And- the president later addressed a mass meeting in the area where he committed the ANC-led government to grow the economy and create jobs. Speaking about the party's election manifesto to be launched on Saturday, Ramaphosa said the manifesto will take stock of the government's performance, look at gaps where it did not do well, and provide plans to deal with challenges facing South Africa. And we are going to continue doing that. And the manifesto year two is going to address precisely that, how we can grow South Africa together. And we are saying, together we will be able to grow South Africa. Together we will work together to make South Africa the best country on the African continent. We will be able to work together to grow our economy, 
We will be able to work together, yes, comrades. This year is going to be the real year of building jobs. So, Ksasa, Uma, is celebrator, the 107th birth of the African National Congress. We will be setting out precisely what tasks we have as the ANC. And on Saturday, we will be setting out our full tasks as the ANC and our manifesto, our plan for the country. In Newcastle, Northern Western Natal, the ANC's Deputy President David Mabuza committed the party to fight against corruption and do its best to ensure unity in the organization. Mabuza also interacted with different communities and used the opportunity to garner support for the party ahead of this year's general elections. Mabuza had this to say about the ANC's commitment to root out corruption. I'm not going to encourage members of the ANC to fight. But remember, the ANC has got a duty to fight corruption. It's not like if we are fighting corruption, we're fighting an individual. That individual must fight back. No, we can't allow corruption to be a norm in our country. Otherwise, it's going to kill whatever we fought. The ANC will celebrate its 107th anniversary in different parts of KwaZulu-Natal with the main event at the Otlang School in Nanda, north of Durban. This school was started by the first ANC president, John Langalibale Dube, and is where he is buried. I am Vosima Kosini in Pochepston. While the visit by the African National Congress's Deputy Secretary-General Jesse Duarte to Chatsworth, south of Durban in South Africa, has been welcomed by residents, they say the visit should yield positive outcomes for voters in the area. Duarte spent a day on a door-to-door visit to Shawcross, Bottlebush and Dassenhook in Chatsworth as part of the ANC's community engagements ahead of its 107th year anniversary celebrations in KwaZulu-Natal this week. Community members say a lot of their issues need urgent attention. Prabashni Mudli reports. Parts of Chatsworth came alive with the colours of yellow and green just months before the country's fourth democratic national election. ANC officials and members of the National Executive Committee are in KwaZulu-Natal ahead of the January 8th statement as well as the party's election manifesto later this week. The ANC top six hit the ground running early on Monday morning with community engagements across the province. ANC Deputy Secretary-General Jessie Duarte spent her day doing door-to-door visits in various wards in Chatsworth, south of Durban. The area is home to one of the largest South African Indian populations in the country. The Indian vote has historically played a pivotal role in KwaZulu-Natal politics. At the Shawcross Shopping Centre, where Duarte engaged with shop owners, issues of service delivery, crime and land invasions were raised. Service delivery, unemployment, uh, housing, crime, drugs. Bring back the death penalty. That's one of the best things I would think because if someone do a murder, 10 days later you see them walking on the streets again. It concerns me a lot because I have three boys and my son don't even walk on the road because they're even frightened of what they see on TV and what they hear. For what reason are they here? The people are all looking shocked, you know what I mean? You guys are here, but for what? Crime has become very rife in Chatsworth and surrounding areas. Petty crime is on the increase every single day, drug issues, and then there's potholes in the road. There's, there's a lot of issues that need to be addressed. A lot of groups come during the election time, and then after, even our councillors, we don't even see our councillors around. 
Since nine-year-old Sadia Sukraj was killed in a botched hijacking in the area last year, crime has come under the spotlight. Duarte says policing has since been intensified. With reference to the drug scourge in the community, Duarte adds that there is a hope that Chatsworth will receive assistance from the National Police Commissioner. The unfortunate and sad and unacceptable death of a child may not be the right way to actually wake you up. But the issue here is the utilization of firearms. It's violent crime. It's domestic violence. We're hoping that Chatsworth area as a whole could become an area where we can have more cooperation from the community. One of the critical areas is is drug related crimes and the silence that goes with drug dealing and the fear that communities have if they point out a drug dealer they themselves will become a target. There is a national program now to combat gangs and drugs and we're hoping that soon uh, Chatsworth will receive uh, some of that assistance also from the National Police Commissioner. Duarte says communities who are victims of land invasions need to lay criminal charges with the police. The area has has been plagued by illegal land invasions in recent months. Duarte explains the ANC's stance on the issue. The ANC rejects the notion of land invasion. We don't believe that any particular individual has the right to simply invade private or public land. In other areas, land invaders have simply been removed from the land that they've been invading. Uh, It's important that we take that position because we're talking about land redistribution in a formal and legal way. That means that we would enable people to claim land from the ancestors or the government is providing social housing for people and therefore the the necessity to invade land is not needed and it's important that where private property is invaded people take up a criminal case. The ANC is preparing for the January 8th statement at the Otlange High School in Inanda, north of Durban, on Tuesday. The party will launch its 2019 election manifesto in Durban on Saturday. For SABC News, I'm Prabhashni Mudli at Chatsworth. Ah. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. More than 800 protesters have been arrested in anti-government demonstrations held across Sudan since last month as hundreds gathered at a rally backing President Umar al-Bashir. Madagascar sits to confirm the results of its presidential election after Andre Rogelina was declared the victor in the vote count and Mozambique says it's working with U.S. and South African authorities after its former finance minister was arrested in Johannesburg. Those are the stories making headlines. Thank you, Anne. It is 8.31 Central African time, and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa.
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Our South Africa's ruling party and the oldest liberation movement in the world, the African National Congress, is today marking its 107th anniversary. On January 8th in 1912, chiefs, representatives of people and church organizations and other prominent individuals gathered in Bloemfontein in the Free State Province and formed the African National Congress. The ANC declared its aim to bring all Africans together as one people to defend their rights and freedom. The party marks this anniversary ahead of the sixth national elections since the advent of democracy 25 years ago. In that year, the ANC won with a majority of 62.6% votes. Questions remain if the party will this year manage to win with those figures. The issue of land, which was part of the core values of the party, have come back to haunt the party. As the new kid on the block, the Economic Freedom Fighters, formed by former ANC youth leader Julius Malema, revived the call for the land to be shared equally among South Africans. Now, to talk to us more on this, we're now joined on the line by political analyst Dr. Somadota Figeni. Dr. Figeni, compliments of the new year and thank you so much for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Now, Dr. Figeni, how would you describe the 107-year-old ANC? Does it still reflect the values of the party formed back in 1912? I do think that it has changed in many ways, and it may be more reflective of the Freedom Charter of 1955 than the original values of 1912, but of course the essence of it being a nationalist party fighting for liberation has not changed, but it has undergone a number of mutations. Now, this year will be, um, you know, a very crucial year with regards to um, elections for this very old liberation movement. Do you think that it will be a survival of the fittest for the movement? I do think that ANC is still the biggest party to beat, and the biggest debate is whether it will remain above 60% or fall below, because since 2004, ANC achieved its highest in 2004, and since then it has been incrementally declining. And whether that decline will now suddenly be arrested with the new leader or whether it will progressively continue. Also be mindful of the fact that weaknesses of the ANC do not translate into automatic strength of the opposition, because opposition has its own challenges as well. 
Do you think that the ANC will be able to reinvent itself considering um, pressures from opposition parties? Like you mentioned, the fact that, yes, there might be um, issues being brought up by the opposition, but uh, not much to affect the ANC. There might be an impact in some of the areas because these things do differ regionally. But at the same time, opposition parties are not in the best space at the moment. Hence, you may even have the second, the main opposition party, fighting even to retain its status as the main opposition party, whilst the EFF fighting to overtake the DA. And uh, their hope had been on a coalition that forces ANC in one or two provinces below 50% and form a coalition. And uh, the coalition experiment in the local government election has not gone very well. It has proven to be fragmented, and uh, it has proven to be an arranged marriage of the opposites. So that in itself is no longer as attractive to the voters as it used to be. How critical will the land issue be um, for the victory of the party, especially at the polls? I do think that in the main, the land, there is general agreement that you ought to have redistribution of it. So ANC and EFF and other smaller parties have agreed that there needs to be a change and speeding up. The only parties, the DA, the FF+, plus, as expected, and COPE, which were vociferous in opposition, may necessarily be impacted negatively by the stance, given the popular sentiment. But uh, I don't think it will be the most dramatic because the main thing will be the implementation of this land reform process. Uh, Dr. Figeni, before we wrap up, uh, just looking at uh, the the crisscrossing of uh, the ANC leadership within the Guazul-Natal province, let's speak about uh, the first thing. In 2013, um, KZN held, was the host for um, the uh, birthday January 8th statement. And now again in 2018, is this a show of prowess by the ANC with regards to the electorate in terms of KZN being one of the biggest, um, I think KZN first and then the Gauteng province. It is a show that ANC is worried about KZN, especially the fact that the former president, who seemed to be aggrieved and is still very much vociferous, is still very much active in that province. And also the fact that it was one of the most divided provinces and yet the largest in terms of ANC membership. So the symbolism of being there and emphasizing the campaign there and launching the campaign there is based on that particular fact. And also remember that after Tabombegi was removed, the January 8th was taken to the Eastern Cape and some of the major rallies in order to show that this is still the home of the ANC, even when its own, uh, I mean, the person who was born there has been removed. So I think those are some of the considerations in going to KZN. Dr. Figeni, it is a developing story that we're all watching very closely. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, always. And uh, that was uh, Dr. Somatota Figeni, a South African political analyst, joining us on the line.
This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. A new UN report published on Monday shows that human trafficking is on the rise and taking on horrific dimensions with sexual exploitation of victims the main driver. Children now account for 30% of those being trafficked and far more girls are detected than boys. For more on this, Michelle Kasuma spoke to Fabrizio Saricha, UN Office on Drugs, Crime, Research Expert on Trafficking in Person. According to our research, and this is the global report on trafficking persons that we publish every two years, child trafficking accounts for 30% of uh, the entire trafficking population. One victim on three victims of trafficking persons is a child. And this is the global picture. We know that in some parts of the world, actually, trafficking in children accounts for the majority of the victims of trafficking persons. What are some of the most challenging issues to combat trafficking of children and young people? And what are some of your grave concerns as well? It's really difficult to spot one challenge to combat trafficking persons because actually there are many. I would say from the criminal justice angle, it's clear that trafficking in persons is uh, very often is not a criminal priority for national authorities, so not enough fundings are given to national institutions that are set to combat trafficking in persons in general and specifically child trafficking. And this is from the institutional point of view. There is another angle that is phenomenon itself. Very often victims of trafficking, and this is even more true for minors, for children, they are not aware of being trafficking victims. How about migrant children who are traveling? Are they especially vulnerable? Migrants in general, especially refugees, uh, are of course in a situation that is exploited by traffickers. And as a consequence, traffickers take advantage of this increasing number of unaccompanied minors all over the world that are in a situation of economic needs because sometimes they have to repay the fees their families paid to migrate and under this sort of pressure, they are accepting a working situation that easily turn into exploitative situations. Today, more and more young people are actively engaging in the internet and social media. While yes. these still have made it possible for people from every corner of the world to connect in unprecedented scale, it also become increasingly misused to target young people, including yes. trafficking. How can we safeguard against this? Indeed, this is happening, and we clearly see how social media and Internet, the Internet is used to recruit, to deceive victims, and then turn this into a trafficking situation. I think this is a new challenge. We need to find new ways, for instance, cooperation with the private sector in order to prevent these forms of recruitment. And education, information is needed. It's needed for kids, for teachers, for parents. 
how does the UN Trafficking in Person Protocol works to aid government to combat trafficking practice? How many governments are participating in this protocol? The trafficking protocol is a wonderful tool for the cooperation national institutions to combat trafficking persons. Constantly we have national investigators from different countries that are cooperating, working together in order to prosecute traffickers and to protect victims. And this is only possible through the only instrument that is available today to combat trafficking persons, which is the United Nations Trafficking Persons Protocol. It also creates new rights for victims of trafficking to be assisted by the national institutions to recover from the victimization, to be given also assistance and protection. More than 90% of the countries around the world have actually implement, do actually implement the protocol because they have a national legislation that is drafted on the base of the protocol. So it's not only the ratification, the participation to the UN protocol, but it's really to integrate the protocol into the national legislation. This is even more important than ratifying the protocol. And we know that more than 90% of the countries around the world have this. It is imperative to act as soon as possible. Trafficking persons must turn into a priority for everyone. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Fabricio Sarica, UNODC research expert on trafficking in persons, speaking there to UN's news, Michelle Kusuma. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoku. Good morning, you tuned into Channel Africa. World Bank's Chief Executive Officer, Kristalina Georgieva, will serve as interim president when the bank's president, Jim Yong Kim, leaves at the beginning of February. Kim announced that he would step down next month, more than three years before his current term is due to end. His tenure was also marked by high levels of dissatisfaction among the bank staff following his internal restructuring. South Africa's Black Management Forum, BMF, has confirmed sending a letter to Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon to seek further information regarding the appointment of Daniel Dutoy as the new Group Chief Executive of Arms Manufacturer, Denal. Cabinet has approved the appointment of Dutoy with effect from January the 14th, 2019. Dutoy recently vacated a position as Managing Director at SAAB Miedov Technologies in Germany. Before that, he was Chief Operating Officer of SAAB Green Tech Defense in South Africa, where he served in several senior management positions. Dutoy began his career in South African Defense Force. BMF Deputy President Tasmin Fredericks says they want to establish whether 
There was no black person who could have filled the position. Well, ultimately, we'd like to see why there wasn't a suitably black person pointed in the position. And I'm sure that there are suitably black professionals who can fill the position. That appointment be set aside. So that information we don't have in hand, and this is why we're requesting this information from Denal. We're constantly finding both private and now public institutions making the excuse that there's never a suitably black professional that can fill the position. South African mine workers say they're concerned that Sibanya Steelwater Gold Mine Management in South Africa's northwest province is sending them intimidating messages. This emerged during a gathering of members of the Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union AMCU outside the Tienhaisen Magistrates' Court where 83 miners appeared briefly. They were released on bail of 215 US dollars. The workers were arrested last month while striking over a salary dispute. They say the mine is forcing AMCU members to join other unions. The, the, the big issue that we are raising as AMCU is the issue of living wage, on which we, we believe, we strongly believe that if all of us as mine workers we can get the entry level of 12.5, we think at least people can benefit better, although it's not enough. But we strongly believe that if not this 3,500 that has been signed by Cyril Ramaphosa minimum wage. So that is why you see always when as AMCO we are going to wage negotiation, we talk about the basic of 12.5. That is the reason. An international organization, Talkheads International, has appraised the Zambian government for its huge investments in information and communication technology infrastructure in the country. Tokids is a social enterprise promoting technologically aided and driven educational support packages in the country. The organization's a country's chief executive officer, Bestin Chilea, says his organization is pleased with government's ICT policy direction and investment, which he says will speed up the country's education system and its development. The U.S. dollar is trading at 10.38 Botswana Pula. It's at 11.90 Zambian Kwacha and at 13.90 South African rands. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.71 Brazilian roll, 69.40 Indian rupee, 6.85 Chinese yuan and 67.14 Russian ruble. One U.S. dollar is trading at 87 to the euro and at 78 British pound. Looking at commodities markets now, gold is trading at $1,285, platinum $820 pounds. The price of Brent crude oil is at $57.60 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoku and you tuned into Channel Africa. So, Figile, okay, it's the beginning of the year, 2019, it's a new year. What should we be looking forward to with regards to um, cricket? When is the final test? The, the final test, test is on Friday. On Friday. Yeah. That's f- the one Faf is sitting out on. Yeah, but that, that, that is, that's, that, that's the beginning, like you say, it's the beginning mm. of the year. Mm. The only thing is that it's the preparation for the World Cup. 
they're working for the World Cup. This year is the World Cup uh, in, in, in Japan, in African, rugby. Uh, and then this time again, food, we're looking forward to the Africa Cup of Nations. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it will be here in South Africa. I think, I think definitely we're going to get it. I mean, South Africa is a lot calmer than our... Yeah. African counterparts and also head. well Egypt was 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 a was a was a, a a a very strong opponent to South Africa but because they don't want it in the middle of the year so that puts them away from from getting it and the issue so, of stability yeah well, st- well Egypt is better than the other West African countries well so to speak yeah so <laughs> that's that's a lot that's coming and also the well, on the political side, it's uh, it's about this, 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 the rule, the, the laws about sports. Mm. Who has to host the sport? Mm. Which international sports have to be hosted by who in, in terms of broadcasting? Mm. So SABC, Multi-Choice, and, and others as well. Who's going to monopolize that, uh, the, 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 the national sport? Mm. So that's but coming. realistically speaking, the SABC has the numbers. Yes, SABC has to, but the SABC... We know financially it's not it's, doing it's a well. Difficult period. Yeah. Well, something it's, it's definitely developing, and uh, we will be watching very closely. Yes, that's like that's sports wise. And and uh, our co our our number one goalkeeper Bafana Bafana. Yeah, But he will be back. He'll be ready for the Afcon. But he's out for the PSL season with a shoulder injury. But he's seeing the specialist today. Like, as we speak, he's been walking out of his apartment <laughs> to see the specialist. <laughs> All right, great stuff. Give us an update. First up, it's the uh, Confederation of African Football will announce today who will host this year's Africa Cup of Nations. The tournament gets underway in June, but the venue had to be changed when Kev stripped off Cameroon of its hosting rights last month. Janet Witten reports. South Africa is the stronghold for track cycling in, in Africa. We have pretty much the best riders. And they, yeah, so, so at the moment, John's actually been in quite a heavy training session. Um, so he's been training already. He trained through to December. Um, he hasn't had a, he hasn't had time off for Christmas holiday. He's he's trained every single day. Um, some of the days it has has been. CAF cited delays in preparations and security concerns as the reasons for taking the tournament away from Cameroon. South Africa expressed interest almost immediately, and Egypt also threw their hat in the ring. CAF will decide between those two potential host countries today. The decision has also thrown future AFCON venues into question. Cameroon were invited to host 2021 instead, but Ivory Coast don't want to give that up in favor of the 2023 rights. But CAF President Ahmed Ahmed has confirmed that Guinea has accepted to host the 2025 AFCON instead of the 2023 edition. Janet Witten, SABC News. South Africa's national track cycling champion Jen Spees will head to Peter Marisbeck in the Guazanatal province to take part in the African Continental Track Championship. In the previous Continental Champs in Morocco, South Africa had a successful outing with Spees who claimed six medals that consist of five gold in the sprint, Kairin time trial, team sprint and team pursuit and a bronze in scratch. Spees says he's hoping for positive results. Basically, I... Preparing myself in a way that I would similarly prepare for my international events. Um, reason being is I literally finish Africa Champs on the 19th, uh, the lunchtime on the 19th, and then fly to Hong Kong that same night 
for an international event. Um, so I'm treating it as um, Africa Champs and a World Cup with um, together. Uh, so preparation is going really well, training probably about six hours a day, twice a day. Um, which will equate to six hours. So a lot of a lot of effort is going into it, um, but it's consistent and, and I'm enjoying it. So it is going really well. So yeah, I think preparation is is well on track for hopefully some really good results. In golf news: Patrick Harrington is is expected to be named as Europe's captain for the 2020 Ryder Cup today. That's a sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa, Amnesty International condemns deadly crackdown on protesters in Sudan. A new report shows that human trafficking is on the rise and South Africa's ruling African National Congress celebrates its 107th birthday. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutu Ramagadza and Jane Rabutata, technical producer Wiseman Mangele and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-6300327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa's Femikoya with a song titled Babalao. One day, Mama, for a penny. One 